0: the Bible is arguably uh, that of the Good Samaritan and get my thing going here I think I can do this I think I can I think I can okay sweet okay we're good Uh, the Good Samaritan if you remember the setting in Luke 10 there's a conversation going on and a, and a lawyer's asking Jesus about eternal life and he answers and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And the guy's apparently some type of a hypocrite because he says in order to justify himself, he retorts to Jesus, he responds and says, who is my neighbor? Maybe as a means of limiting, who do I have to love? And who, who am I free not to love? Who's my neighbor and who am I called to be a neighbor to? And so, of course, Jesus tells the story about a man who left Jerusalem to go down to Jericho. And while on that road, by the way, a road famous for robbers in their day, the guys abused, robbed, beaten, and left for dead. And following behind him come a Jewish priest and a Jewish Levite. Now, these would be respectable members of their community. And as they see this guy bloodied and left to die on the side of the road, they see him and they walk on by. And then Jesus in this story sort of throws a switch because the hero in the story is not a Jew. He's not a priest. He's not a Levite. He's a lowly Samaritan. And remember for them, Samaritans were not high on the respect list. Samaritans were part Jewish, part Gentile. They worshipped on a different mountain. They worshipped in a different way. They didn't include all of the old, what we would call the Old Testament or the, the books of the law, the writings and the prophets that the Jews in Jesus' day did. So they were despised. But in that story, the Samaritan is the one who proved to be a good neighbor to this guy on the road. And Jesus said to the lawyer and to the folks of his day and to us today, he said, you go and you do Likewise you prove to be a neighbor to whoever it is in your environment that needs help. And guys, if you look at the history of the church, certainly imperfect for sure, but if you look at the history of the church, Christians have taken that charge seriously. And throughout history, for two millennia, it has been the Christian church, especially thinking of the West, It's been the Christian church that has started orphanages, has cared for the poor, has had acts of mercy in all kinds of ways. If you think of the United States history and history in the West, in this part of the world that have done the soup kitchens, the training centers, etc., that's the history of the church. It's changed a bit in our recent history because government, through both taxation and bureaucracy, has taken over those helping roles of mercy that used to be the domain of the church, of religions. That's changed quite a bit for us today. Not inherently a good thing. But Christians have always sought, by and large, to fulfill Jesus' command to prove to be a good neighbor and to embrace whoever it was around us, regardless if they were from our group or not, to embrace them as our neighbor. And if they were to be in a place in which they needed help, Christ's followers were the ones providing that help. I think, by and large, the church in the West is still trying to do that today. We face a dilemma that's along this line. How do you love neighbors whose very presence in our national neighborhood is illegal? What does the church say to those among us who have broken the legitimate laws of this nation and therefore God's commands in order to physically become our neighbors? What do righteous and loving deeds in the arena of what's called illegal immigration look like? We're in a thorny thicket this morning as we have been all summer in this series called uh, What the Righteous Do. And that phrase is out of Psalm 11. When the foundations are destroyed, what do the righteous do? And we've basically been trying to take on issues that are being discussed in the world around us and we're trying to talk to them as a church and say, biblically, what, what truth, what claims from God and from Christ do we bring to bear on these thorny issues? And so this morning we're looking at illegal immigration. What are the key issues? What does God speak to on these issues? What are the right or righteous ways we can be involved? We'll, we'll end very briefly just touching on the issue of uh, international refugees as well. It's not the same, but it's a similar human crises need. That some of us, and certainly this nation, will be involved in in one form or another. And guys, I'll try and stay right at my 40 minute marker. I'll I'll try not to go long, but I just warn you on the front end this is content heavy. It's a serious subject. And I may sound like I'm hard edged on the front end, but I want to clearly define some things. Uh, You know, when God looks down at our situation, He doesn't candy coat it. He says, You guys are a hot mess. You're sinful. You're dead spiritually. He doesn't placate us. He doesn't tell us things as they are not. He says that's the deal. And then He he defines our situation as it really is. And then He provides a real solution. And so when we're talking about any of these issues, we want to define things as they really are. And then we want to bring to bear, what has God said about that? How do we interact? Reality, and then God's Word to that reality. And before I get started, let me say this. A couple things and other disclaimers. God loves illegal immigrants. So when I'm going through this, just bringing to bear some policy and some overarching issues, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God loves illegal immigrants. Jesus died for those who are in this country illegally. Illegal immigrants, by definition, are lawbreakers. Do we share anything in common with them? Any lawbreakers in here? We are lawbreakers. We all stand before God equally in that sense in which we've broken Probably most of us, the laws of man, and all of us have broken the laws of God. So we're not singling out those who are here illegally as if somehow we are better than them and they are not our neighbors. They're our neighbors. So we want to look, though, clear eyed at the issues. Then we want to see what does God's love and mercy and what does being a good neighbor in this situation look like. Last disclaimer. What I'm sharing here this morning, the elders are aware of, but they may not agree with me on every point. Okay, So if you've got a beef, why bring that up with me. Okay, in we go. So the first thing I want to point out is that God is the God of nations. From Acts 17, we've, we've drawn water from this well three weeks in a row, providentially, but in Acts 17, when Paul's speaking at Mars Hill, he said in part this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, Made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, God has determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This is important. It's key and it's foundational. Who establishes nations? God does. Who establishes the boundaries of the nation chronologically in time? When nations rise and fall, God takes credit for that too. Who establishes the boundaries, the geographical limits of a nation? God says He does. That's what Paul says here as well. Friends, borders are not irrelevant. Borders are God-ordained. They are a limit and they are meant to be a limit by God's doing. We won't get into this this morning. There's a reason God fragmented uh, society across the face of the globe It was a preservative, because if you get to Babel, if everybody's together in the same place, our corruption simply occurs more rapidly. This was God's mercy to us to spread mankind over the face of the earth in different nations because it slowed our progress in evil. It's a big deal. God says He's behind nations in their chronology as well as their geography. You'll see this in Genesis 10 and 11. This, uh, this list of the nations here as they come from Noah. Uh, Genesis 10, verse 5. Noah's descendants are divided by language, clans, and nations. You see the same thing in Genesis 11. 8 at Babel, when men want to come together in one place, God says, no thank you, you're not obeying my command to spread. God intentionally spreads them. They're dispersed according to language, family groups, and geography. Webster's Dictionary defines a nation like this. A stable, historically developed community of people with economic life, distinctive culture, language in common, and territory. You could be in a kingdom, and a kingdom can be made of multiple nations, but a nation has all this stuff in common. And one of the key elements is it has a boundary. Friends, if there's no boundary, there's no nation. Nations have borders. In the Law of Moses, in Exodus 22:21, 21 this is a verse routinely brought up about the care we give for people in our midst who aren't from our nation. It says this, don't wrong a sojourner, don't, don't oppress him, because you as Jews, you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. This is a great, this is a great verse for anybody at any time in any place. James Hoffmeyer though in his book, The Immigration Crisis, points this out. The term sojourner in Hebrew is ger, and it means a guest. You're a stranger, but you're a legal stranger. You're not a Jew. But you're living in Israel legally. Other Hebrew words are used for strangers, those without legal status. Hoffmeier's point is this. God distinguished between legal and illegal persons in His covenant community and nation. No different than we would today. We would say someone actually has a right to be here or someone does not have a legal right to be here. You see that ensconced in the law. Now guys, one of the things that's going on for us today, and it's huge, is that we are becoming not only a nation, but a world of lawlessness. This is not a good thing. Genesis 6, when it describes what the earth is like just before God destroys it in the flood, it's lawless. One of the key phrases in the book of Judges says, there was no king in Israel in those days. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's lawlessness. And before the second coming of Jesus, which I hope and pray is soon for our sake and for His glory, it's defined by lawlessness, a rejection of law. And friends, this is the thing. You cannot square lawlessness with obedience to God. They are antithetical to each other. In fact, in First John, lawlessness is described as the element, elemental definition of sin itself. So, lawlessness is not what we want to be defined by. Illegal immigrants are doing what's right in their own eyes, but they're asking others to do right as the illegal see it, not as their host nation sees it. Illegal immigrants demanding rights, and this is common if you see the protests around the nation, this is common. They're demanding rights in the U.S. that demand is oxymoronic. It's a moral, ethical, legal appeal you do right by, by the way we see it based on a refusal to observe moral, ethical, and legal appeals by the host nation. It's me telling you I have rights and you have none. My rights are what I tell you they are. You cannot get this out of the Scriptures. Unlike most international refugees today, most illegals in the United States are here for lifestyle, not for life. Okay? Okay? So what we're saying on one hand, God establishes nations and boundaries. We're saying basically we live in, in a time in which we are all thumbing our nose at God and God's commands related to nations and that He says He is the God of nations including their boundaries. We are saying, God, we don't recognize your right to rule over nations. It's an element of lawlessness. The desire for a better lifestyle is a good thing, right? And we are a nation of immigrants. And my answer says left Ireland uh, 1919 to come over here in 1854. Before that, for a better lifestyle, they simply did so legally. But we're a nation of immigrants. We admire people who say we want to make more of our life. All a good thing, but not against man's laws, God's commandments, and others' expense. That's the difference here. Illegal immigrants, with some exceptions, are not refugees fleeing to save their lives, but people wanting a better lifestyle. Along this line, and just thinking of what does this look like, some of the lawless elements against God's commands. Illegals, notoriously, if you're in Texas or the border states, will cross the border to bear children in the U.S. hospitals so they can have their services paid for by U.S. taxpayers. I would call this a kind of theft. Illegals and their use of social and medical services. Everything I'm saying, by the way, your study sheet has some references. You can look it all up online. Use of social and medical services had led to medical facility closings all over the southwest United States to overwhelm medical centers, overwhelm social services, and therefore less services for all. In 2014, I'll bring this up again later, approximately $26 billion was sent tax-free without any regulation out of the United States into Mexico. And those are illegal aliens working here and, and commendably supporting family and friends back in Mexico. But what it is, th- that wealth is simply subsidizing Mexico. You know, there's a reason the Mexican government does nothing to stem illegal immigration from Mexico into the U.S. Because our economy is illegally subsidizing the Mexican economy simply through illegal sending money home. Again, if you're a family member on the receiving end, you say, hey, we love this, but from the nation that it's slowly bleeding out of, this has long-term consequences. So what does God say about that just generally? Romans 13, verses 1-5, through well-known verses to us, and we preach these to each other as Christians all the time. But listen to this. This isn't written just for the sake of Christians. Paul wrote there, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That means we obey the laws of the land. Remember the exception. In Christian circles, we talk about this for this reason. When's it okay to disobey the government? When government requires us to do what God forbids or forbids us from doing what God commands. Clear exceptions. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Friends, there's an argument, there's a philosophical argument that says we can break the law if if doing so preserves something greater than what the law is speaking to. So to preserve life, we can break the law. That's not what's going on. So when illegals break the law of the nation, they're breaking the command of God and they're saying... God, you are not God of that nation geographically, and God, you are not the God of that nation in line of authority. We don't need to obey the nation because you don't count in this equation. Paul continues, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but bad. By the way, remember this is written by a Jew under Roman government rule. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Do what's good and you'll receive his approval. He is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. He doesn't bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God. One must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. When I'm doing something wrong, my conscience bugs me. And Paul says, for both reasons, do what's right. So this isn't just for Christians. This is for everyone. People entering another country illegally without a purpose greater than a better lifestyle are doing so against God's Word and God's command. Illegal aliens are, friends, illegal. If you listen to this, if you read up on this issue, the, the, the terminology we use is interesting. Are they an, un- an undocumented worker? Meaning there's no legal issue. They just don't have documents for their employment. That's, that's less than candid and true. Illegal aliens are by definition, they're here illegally. Their first step into this country cannot be squared with biblical teaching, God's design, or any version of appropriate governance anywhere. Failure to consider the illegal alien problem as a legal and moral issue results in poor thinking and poor outcomes. Friends, in Jeremiah's day, do you remember? It's a mess. It's a hot mess in Israel. In fact, Jeremiah goes right into the captivity. But before that, that burnout occurs... Part of what's going on in their day and time was those in positions of influence and authority are saying, it's okay, everything's all right. And God through Jeremiah says, they're healing the wounds of my people slightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. If you want real solutions to issues, you've got to define them as they really are. We don't want to placate. We don't want a slight healing. So what do we do? And again, this is all big picture, okay? Biblically, what's the, what are some of the key issues? And then at a policy level, big picture, nationwide, what are righteous deeds in relation to illegal immigration? The first would be this, from my perspective, and again on public policy perhaps, if, if we in this room disagree, it might be on some of these issues. The first thing is to be an informed voter. Friends, at a policy level either coming up with policies or implementing, you and I have almost nothing to say. It's said in this democratic republic by our elected officials and by those in the judiciary. So the thing that you and I can do as good neighbors for everyone here is to be an informed voter. That we simply want to be aware of people's positions and we want to elect to office those who look like they'll speak most honestly to the issues and provide helpful, real solutions where such are possible. We also want to pray. We want to pray. Do you remember in First Timothy 2 that Paul said pray? First of all then, he said when he's talking to the church, I want you to pray. And when you pray, pray for kings and those in authority that it may go well with you. Proverbs says that the heart of the king, and remember in their day the king's the most powerful man on earth, the heart of the king is like water in the hand of God. And he just turns it wherever he wants. You and I have influence in prayer. We don't have any place else. And God can affect policy and politicians and judges in ways you and I cannot personally. We should be praying. We should be informed voters and we should be praying. That's good neighbor policy to all those around us. We should also be encouraging those in positions of authority to both recognize and then address issues as they really are. The thing with illegal immigration, guys, is it's part of the element of the country dying from the inside out. When we've talked about other issues, we've said the country is going downhill fast. Illegal immigration has profound negative impacts on the country, not because we're hateful or xenophobic, simply because of the way things work out. So to recognizing things that should be addressed. The first would be a secure border coupled with a robust legal immigration policy. A secure border, friends... A nation without a border is not a nation. Borders are part of nationhood. A nation without a border is not a nation. If you can't keep someone out, you can't can't provide adequate safety for anyone in your nation. And that's our status today. Along with that, you're not saying by having secure borders that you don't want people to immigrate into the United States. I'll bet for most in this room, you don't have to go back more than two or three generations to find our immigrant ancestors. We need and we want immigrants coming into the United States. Wayne Grudem, his book is listed as a resource on your study sheet, points out that just a a few years ago, the U.S. had like eight or nine Nobel Peace Prizes. Half of them came from immigrant Americans. We want immigrants. Immigrants are bringing rich cultural issues to the U.S. They're bringing their acumen, their skill set. Every nation wants that. You're not saying you don't want people to come into the country and be assimilated and become part of that melting pot or salad, however we define it. You're simply saying you want it done legally so that it can be regulated and it's appropriate and it's helpful. You're trying to avoid all kinds of unintentional fallout. Another thing, and this is something probably most of us couldn't do, but as a policy, a large public policy, strategic investment in Mexico by businesses and policies that are encouraged to do that by the American government. Do you know that if if the standard of living in Mexico rises, what happens to the incentive for Mexicans to come into this country illegally? It diminishes. You know, when we say that uh, uh, countries around the world, their standard of living is is rising if we care about people that's a good thing but it's also a good thing economically for everyone if the standard of living rises we want that and we're not talking about trying to ship jobs out of the the United States but this is why you say strategic investment business investment encouraged by governments in Mexico so that the standard of living raises over time reduces the incentive for folks to come here illegally Perhaps the most controversial thing from my perspective that I'm mentioning this morning is no citizenship for those who have entered the U.S. illegally as a policy. And, and I'll tell you why I'm an advocate for this. Wayne Gruden's a guy I really respect. I've listened to him for years. I've read him for years. I disagree with him absolutely on this, 180. This is why I think as a policy, we should encourage policymakers to not give legal status, not citizenship legal status to those who've entered illegally. First, friends, this is an invitation for folks to enter the country illegally forever. Keep coming because eventually we will baptize you with citizenship no matter how you've come in. This encourages more of the same. Friends, people don't think about this. This is an insult. It is an affront. It is unjust to every immigrant who's come through this nation legally. Our friend Jen, many of you know Jen. Jen spent years and untold dollars to, to stay in this country legally while people all around her were doing so illegally. She refused to. There are millions of Jens in this country who have jumped through our hoops, obeyed our laws, gained citizenship by legal status, and we tell them, it, you didn't need to. Which means it's another element of Lawlessness. Friends, what does it say to the nation and the world when the president refuses to enforce the law? He's telling everyone that he rules by fiat, that he is above the law. Friends, it's lawlessness. He is telling the rest of the nation and the world, you don't need to keep our laws either because we only uphold them as we see fit. If you baptize with citizenship those who have come in illegally, you have told everyone you are not a nation of law. Also, probably most of you in here this morning are old enough to remember 1986, President Reagan signed the Immigration Reform and Control Act. This was a one-time fix. Do you remember what the scenario was? We've got a lot of illegal immigrants in the country. What are we going to do? This is what we'll do. Light bulb moment. We're going to baptize them with citizenship. We're going to clear this issue out of politics and we're going to go forward. Now, three decades later, what's our situation? The guesses are anything from 12 to 20 million folks here illegally. It was 3 million in 86. What have we encouraged? We've encouraged people to enter illegally because we've told them, we've done it in the past, we'll do it again, we'll baptize you with legal citizenship. It's an invitation for disaster. My own, own, what I would promote to those in policymaking positions is simply some status less than citizen in which they could work. No politician, no one with any authority is actually suggesting that the U.S. could extradite 12 to 20 million people here illegally. It's not going to happen. So the, the, real, the reality is what do you do with things as they are? Something less than citizenship where they have legal status, where they come under the law, where they pay taxes, where giving is regulated as it is for everyone else. Something along those lines is what I would argue for some people say this is, a, this is a policy that creates, in effect, an underclass, a permanent underclass. To which I respond, they're an underclass now. Without legal status, they're already an underclass. They are more susceptible to abuse by employers or others with their illegal status than they would be if they were less than citizens, but here legally otherwise. This would actually be good for those who are here illegally Again, policy level, recognition of the problems that attend illegal immigration, and then any form of legislation that would help to mitigate these challenges. Illegal immigration has seeded the United States with the most violent of criminals and gangs and the ongoing problem we have with illicit drug trafficking. Friends, this is not someplace else. This is in Topeka, Kansas. The Mexican gang in Topeka, Kansas, they're murdering other gang members across Topeka. This is not someplace else. This is right here. The most violent, the most heinous of crimes are being committed, often in the U.S., by illegal immigrants whom we've simply escorted across the border by posing no real opposition to their entrance. Illegal aliens caught by police who are gang members and or who have a record of law breaking here or in their country of origin, should be extradited. This does not sound like a tough thing to do. But if the, if the border remains porous, they just come right back in. That's what happened to the, the woman that was murdered on the West Coast. I think it was San Francisco last year by a guy that wasn't supposed to be in the country. Everyone knew it, but he simply kept coming back in. This is something else, and this is again a, a big policy issue, but politicians don't talk about this. And there's the fear that if you address these issues head on, that you are a, you're opposed to Mexicans or Hispanics or this group or that group. None of this has anything to do with that. In the political race today, one of the things that keeps coming up is low wages. Low wages, and especially at entry-level jobs. So you're talking about construction, service industry, some industries, uh, just production and manufacturing. And the complaint is wages have not risen. But guys, think about this for just a second. This is economics 101. If you increase the supply of anything, what do you do to its price? You decrease it. If you multiply the available workers in the U.S. for entry-level jobs by millions and millions and millions, what have you guaranteed their wages if everyone will do at entry-level jobs? They're going to stay low. This is not complex. But politicians avoid it because... It it appears to give somebody a rock to throw at them. You're a hate group. You're opposed to that person or group. Guys, this is simple economics. There's a reason those entry-level wages have not risen. It's not entirely based on those who are here illegally taking those jobs, but that's a significant component. So in the political circles, they're not talking about this, but this is definitely part of why American wage earners have kept wages low. By the way, you know this too. If you're middle income or above, if you're a professional or anything like that, This is a boon to you, right? And to me, why? Because goods and services stay cheaper. If you're the consumer, the costs of all that stay down because the wage market, the wage earners are so many. It keeps our our quality of life as high. Those on the lower rungs are lower though and it's because there's been so much, in part, so much supply of labor. Also... Uh, remittances are called those amounts of money that are sent from someone in the United States outside the United States, remittances. I mentioned $26 million to Mexico, but listen to this. Estimates run from $50 billion from the Bureau of Economic Analysis to $100 billion a year, the World Bank estimates, up to $120 billion a year in remittances. People here illegally taking part of their earnings and sending them out of the United States. Friends, listen, we're almost $20 trillion in debt. And you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars bleeding out of the U.S. economy. What do you think is going to happen eventually? When people start calling in our credit, what's going to happen? It's not going to be good. It would be an implosion, an economic implosion. How helpful would we be to people around the world if that happens? Not very helpful. But we are bleeding economically in part All kinds of reasons, but this is one of them. Illegal immigration is bringing in some of the worst and most violent of criminals. It's slowly draining economic resources. It's contributing to the fraction of the nation. By the way, that last point, if you're here illegally, your conscience tells you you're here illegally and you hide. So you know what illegal aliens often are not doing? They're not learning English. They're not assimilating into the culture. Guys, this increases the cost of everything this nation does, schools, medical facilities, anything social related. You know, if you go into the hospital, they're trying to get speakers for languages around the world because they're here. And we're we're bilingual pretty much officially now as a nation, English and Spanish, because Hispanics are not, oftentimes, they're not bothering to learn English because they don't need to. They have their own form of ghettos. That's what they're living in. It's not assimilation. It's the balkanization. It's the fracturing of the nation that's already occurring anyway. Okay, so... Are you guys suitably depressed as I was when I put this together? Are we all equally discouraged? This is at a policy level. So the problem, I think, generically, a little bit as it really is, how does God speak to that? What might be some things at a policy level whose influence we just have through voting pretty much or through communicating with those in positions of authority, but we do get down to this. What do you and I do about this personally? How are you and I good neighbors to the illegal alien. What does that look like? If you say I've got a policy, that's one thing, right? But if you're looking at your neighbor or your friend or that fellow student at school, they're not a policy, right? They're a person. They're just like you and me. They share our humanity equally. What do we say? What does that look like? The first thing I'd say is this. We should treat illegal aliens, those who are here illegal, with the same respect we would anyone else. Are they our neighbor? Yes, they're our neighbor. Am I called to be a good neighbor to those who are here illegally? Yes, I am. And are we as the church? Absolutely. Samaritan or Jew? It's not the issue. Are they your neighbor? Yes, they're our neighbor. We should be good neighbors to those who are here illegally. And guys, that just starts with a basic modicum of respect. Have you ever seen a good policeman interact with a belligerent person? You know, where there's just the invitation for the policeman to get really ticked, but they just keep their cool and they keep saying sir or ma'am and they just tell them the way life is, just calmly and respectfully with courtesy. That's the least thing we should be bringing to bear here. Courtesy and respect. They're a fellow creature made in the image of God. You know, we're big as a church on saying every life has value. And most of the times we're thinking about unborn children, but illegals, they have value too. They share the image of God. We should treat them with respect and courtesy. We should help. We should be the good Samaritans to those who are in our midst, uh, legal or otherwise. You know, it's easy. Uh, Politics generates so much heat that it's easy for our, our thoughts and our attitudes to get bent. And so now the illegals become the enemy. It's, it's, it's we and them. They're the other. But guys, even if we thought illegals, those who are here illegal were the enemy, what, is, what does Christ require of us towards them? What does He require of us to do to our enemies? He tells us to love them. If you say, I'm not feeling the love towards that illegal person, I say, well, that's okay. Because you don't have to feel the love. You just have to do what's in their best interest. You have to love those who are here illegally. Illegally. Because Jesus said, love your enemy. Do good to those who persecute you. In fact, it's interesting. He says in Luke 6, He says, when you're good to those who aren't good to you, it's when you most show that you belong to your Father because He's good to the righteous and the unrighteous every day, giving His Son and seasons and gladness of heart to those who do good and to those who do evil. When we do good, what's in another person's best interest especially our enemies, Jesus says. You're showing who your father is. We should get help for folks who find themselves here illegally. And guys, listen, a lot of times the guys who are here illegally, they are in desperate and dire straits. They are impoverished. They are abused. Some of them are trafficked. Uh, The life of many, many illegals is not a pretty one because they're in the U.S. Many of them are in dire need of help if you were aware of that we should show those folks escort them we should pour the oil on their wounds we should dress their wounds and get them someplace where they need help where help can be provided that might be the rescue mission it might be the police department you know the Topeka police are great about helping those who are here illegally they do it all the time we can't you and I aren't extraditing anyone they're here, they're our neighbor, and we're going to do what's in their best interest, what help would look like for them. Guys, biggest, we should be communicating the gospel. You know, by God's providence, think of this, by God's providence through immigration, legal and illegal, people are in a place where they can hear the gospel clearly. And by God's providence, you know, God often turns those things upside down, doesn't he? We we intend evil, but God intends to bring good out of Evil. We break the law and God says I'm still going to use that in a way that honors me and blesses others. We need to be very conscious about communicating the gospel to those who are here illegally. The hope the church has for illegals is not a higher lifestyle in the United States. Guys, all of us this generation too, like the flowers and the grass, we're going to wither and die. Our hope is a citizenship in heaven. It's a life that's eternal in God's presence. It's not life as an American in the United States. At any time, we want to offer them a hope better than U.S. citizenship. We want to offer them the hope of the gospel, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life where there are joys and pleasures and rivers of delights in God's presence forever. That's better than U.S. citizenship. Guys, we should also encourage those who are here illegally to return to legal status. You know, for some, legal status would mean going back to their country of origin. Much as they might not like the sound of that. For others, legal status might be going to another country that would accept them legally, or it could be for them plugging in to acquire legal status here. But we are not doing a favor to others by encouraging them to continue to disobey God's commands related to our responsibility to a, to obey the authorities God has placed over us, encourage them to acquire legal status. Sorry, with the, just the couple of minutes I have left, let me let me just touch very briefly on international refugees, guys. I would just say on this scale, uh, Christians, Muslims, uh, Zazid, Zadidis. I'm gonna can't remember the people group there that's been run out too. If you saw yourself in this group, if you left your house with the clothes on your back, your possessions are in a backpack, you're walking with children at your side for hundreds or thousands of miles to simply get out of a place where people are going to murder you, would you want someone to show mercy? The uh, This is a big deal. And you know, politically, this is a hot potato right now too. So we want to vet those who are coming in. No, we want to... Extreme vet or super vet. Um, There's a huge issue for here. Many in the Muslim groups have a, a view of life that it's okay and in fact it's desirable to abuse, to behead, to murder, to diss in any way possible those who don't believe in Allah the way they do. And as you know, they're in Europe big time and they would love to get into the U.S. big time too. So is there a role for the U.S. government at a policy level to be very careful in vetting those who are coming into the country to protect those whose, whose responsibility is to protect? Absolutely. <clears throat> Do we want to say close the border to those neighbors in need? You can't. You can't. Guys, Syria alone was a country of 22 million people, 11 million. Half of them are displaced. Five million have left or have, have been killed. It's hard to estimate the level of need with international refugees. 65 million last year, greater than after World War II. The United States is and will be bringing in international refugees from all over the world, including Muslims from the Middle East. I love what the Baptist, uh, Southern Baptists did this year, earlier this year. They adopted a resolution. They encouraged fellow believers to offer care, compassion, and the gospel to refugees while at the same time calling on the American government to implement the strictest security measures possible in the refugee screening and selection process. They wanted to welcome and adopt refugees into their churches and homes as a means to demonstrate to the nations that our God longs for every tribe tongue, nation to be welcomed at His throne. I have a hope that we can act as a host, fam- a host church for a family just like that. If you were in there, I love this picture. I don't know what faith background that guy is. But he got to a place that was safe. What, what, would, what would we want a neighbor to act like towards us if we were in that same situation? What kind of a person are we hoping are the neighbors around us? So guys, we live in a challenging time. Illegal immigration, international refugees coming in. Policies, you want the government to have helpful policies. We pray, we, we vote with conscience and with information at a personal level. Guys, the the folks that are near us, that are in need, they are our neighbor. And in Christ's name, we want to love them the same way the Good Samaritan did and the same way God in Christ has loved us. And Father, we thank you. We were lawbreakers. We had no claim on your mercy or your grace. You poured it out on us in Jesus Christ. And we ask you that you would overflow us with that same grace to those who are our neighbors here, whatever condition, however they've arrived. In Jesus' name, amen.